so a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. I put out a little call and saying we're looking for more altar service. We want to get this going. And I thought two great guys from the NFL group, Francis and Mitch, both listen to the podcast. Uh, Hi, so Francis guys, and Mitch. Um, uh, who've been just real awesome guys who've just kind of leaned into altar serving. Nice. And uh, and they're kind of helping take the leadership with the kids, which has been really helpful for me. When you're yeah. a pastor, you're spread out literally everywhere sometimes. But I put a little call. It's like, okay, let's see what happens. Let's. Uh, so we had three or four kids who were, as we're coming out of the pandemic stuff, you know, we can start introducing this more. We had three or four kids who were helping out for a while. And now I'm like, okay, it's time to expand our altar server stuff. And we had 15 kids at our practice on Sunday. Awesome. It was great. That's good it for like so, any parish. Yeah, that's great. Right? I know. And and so we so I let Mitch and Francis teach the kids. And mm-hmm. it was so great because I took Mitch and Francis out for dinner on Friday night on the Annunciation. And I was like, hey, let's talk about what you guys like. And they're like, hey, Father, so we want to we do this, this. I'm like, man, you guys like you guys are reading my mind. So like, mm-hmm. I just trust you. You go yeah. do it. Which is when you're a pastor, you're like, yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You understand, you get, you intuit the importance of liturgy of doing this well and how to teach responsibility to kids, et cetera. And we're going to do because uh, it's both boys and girls for the kids. But I, my experience has been generally, not always the case, but generally, once they hit like 13, the girls tend to disappear. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've had this experience. This has been my experience at least. Yeah. No, actually, it yeah, more or less I, has, yeah. Which, it kind of, it kind not of completely, makes sense but that stage more of life. so. Not completely, but yeah. more so. So what we're doing is for the older Alta servers, which are all boys right now, it's Cassock and Surplus. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then it's Alb for all the kids. So then it's like this little added response. You've, you've graduated, you know, and if, if there are, I'm not against girls Alta servers, so if there are girls, we'll figure that out. But it's like yeah. um, this little thing. And then, uh, so they took the kids and they kind of went through everything with them and it was chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was total chaos. Yeah. And then I took one of our teenagers uh, aside to teach him incense. Nice. Because my hope is that starting on Palm Sunday, we're going to have incense every Sunday going forward as best cool. we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as a good pastor does, we ordered pizza for lunch. Excellent. And I, and I, and I asked the parents, I said, you know, you're welcome to stay. Join us for lunch, like just, and it was it was great. They got through almost everything in forty five minutes, and then I, but I could also tell the kids were starting to fade out. Yes, yeah, it's <laughs> you yeah. know, tension spans can only last so long, and so you put out the pizza and the drinks and everything, and they're just like in seventh heaven, even though it, it was okay pizza or whatever. Yeah, like, that's pizza and pop. <laughs> oh, this is the best. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, my hope is to do a couple outings a year with you guys. Like maybe we'll go bowling or we'll go to a baseball game or something like that. Or we'll go skating yeah. in the winter. Really? Yeah. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm like, yeah, like it, it's, I have many reasons for doing this group, but one of this, the hope is eventually in a few years, that's something a youth group can grow out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the other yeah. cool thing was, yeah, but the other cool thing was in all of it was it gave me a chance to finally meet some of the parents in the parish whose kids... You see him around and everything. And I just came home. That was at the end of my <laughs> depressing week from the yeah, uh, yeah. That one, <laughs> that depressing episode. Uh, um, but that was at the end of my, that was a real gift, that, 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 whole, that whole thing. It was a real mm-hmm. joy to see the kids having fun, being able to relate with them a bit, and then and just talking to the parents and getting to know some of them. And, I, and, and it was just, get, yeah, it was just, it was just awesome. Yeah. Delightful. Yeah. Yeah, so that was just a really cool thing. Um, another thing quickly. Oh, yes. Before I forget. So just so folks know, mm-hmm. uh, Father Anthony and I just were going to take a break for Holy Week and Easter Week. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lent, it's kind of cr- We were just talking about before we recorded. Like, it's kind of hard to record during Lent. Not that you don't want. It has it's been. like it's also three hour time zone difference doesn't help <laughs> sometimes. No, that's definitely. <laughs> You're like, don't give well, I'm credit for that. 5 a.m. <laughs> Yeah, like that's, I'm like, yeah. that's 5 a.m. at Father Anthony. That's really early. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just, and Holy Week, we want to just be able to focus on on those mysteries in that time. And I think it's a good thing. So we're, we're going to be off for Holy Week and Easter. We'll be back after that. But it's just more of a, yeah. it's been, it's been, it's been a lot of work just to get this to get together for the last And we've weeks. had many scheduling uh, errors as well. <laughs> and conflicts and like stuff coming up and people mm-hmm. dying, dogs and cats living together. It's just like... <laughs> It's been a mess. It's been it's been a mess. So yeah, so like a little this year, breaky. We're, we ain't, 
We're just going to take a small little break here, and we'll be back uh, after that for a second week of Easter there. So there's that. Yeah. The other thing is just so people know, so since we are having that small little break, mm-hmm. coming out on Easter week is my six-part video series on Mysterion. Oh, right. Delightful. Uh, I don't have all the details yet. I'm still waiting for it. But I think if you go to like connect.paulinestore.org or something like that, uh, you can sign up for more emails about it. And I think it's going to be free. And we're actually going to be doing an online, like we're going to do something through YouTube every week. And then we'll do like a half hour session afterwards. Uh, we'll be doing that online on Thursdays uh, for six weeks. I'm, I think I haven't had that 100% confirmed. But mm-hmm. That was the day I gave them it would be best for me. So if that's something you're interested in, and you've got the book or you haven't got the book yet, but want to, mm-hmm. um, this might be a great little thing to take part in for six weeks. Delightful. That's so good. It's a great mystagogia book, I think. Yeah. Well, I've used it. I've used basically your book without using your book in my RCIA classes. <laughs> <laughs> like I did like a whole thing on mediation and everything. It was like this is it was all inspired by Mysterion. So it's good stuff. I, I, well, I just I was actually just reading. I just read bits and pieces. I didn't read the whole thing of Newman's essay on development of doctrine. Oh, that's that's some that's oh. a page turner. Ooh, ooh, that's uh, that's really not. Um, <laughs> although. Uh, I was like, oh, that, actually, that should have been a podcast episode. Anyways, maybe in the future. But uh, he talks a lot about mediation in there. It was kind of... And mm-hmm. that, how... Co- it was really fun. It was just really neat for me to see. He really connects mediation with sacrament. Mm-hmm. I think the, the connection he brings with that. So that yeah, really that cool. makes sense. And finally, I just want to give one more shout out to another listener. Uh, okay. Patrick Mason, uh, who is the Supreme Secretary of the Knights of Columbus. Ooh, fancy. So like, he's, he's, uh, he's up there. Do they have Knights of Columbus like, in Canada? No, he, he's from Gallup, New Mexico. So I got to uh, know Patrick mm-hmm. when I spent six months in, in Gallup uh, working with the MCs. And oh, so he okay. was the Grand Knight at the time. And I, I was telling him, like, you know, honestly, my experience of your Knights Council was like, if this is what a Knights Council can be, then like, man, they would be exploding with membership. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, because he knew how to socialize and have fraternity and stuff like that. And just really, so like Thursday nights were poker night. You know, and and yeah. it was great, and I just really got enjoyed. It made it made uh, it was really nice to meet. But uh, anyways, we just caught up the other day talking about a few things, and uh, he was like, "Oh yeah, no, I listened to your podcast." I'm like, "Oh cool." Uh, so just wanted to give a little shout out there, and then but nice. we were talking. I'm like, I'm, "I'm going to throw at my next night's meeting whenever I can get to one." Uh, is so I was talking to the Supreme Secretary, and he goes, "Oh, you should totally, you should totally throw it down. They're going to be like." You know the Supreme Secretary? They're gonna be like amazed by this. And I'm like, yeah. You, you know, you know what it's like, you know, with with the with the older generation of knights, especially they're like, whoa, 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 you know the people in authority? Like, wow, okay, we'll 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 buy in with this or something like that. <laughs> a little name dropping never hurt nobody. A little name dropping, a little name dropping hurts. So speaking of name dropping, welcome to Clerical Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. It's interesting, you're talking about the life of a pastor, the responsibilities of the pastor, yeah. but let's talk about the responsibilities of a parochial vicar. So it is my job to support the pastor in his mission to save all these souls in my parish, right? Mm-hmm. And I do so very yep. well. But there's also an unwritten uh, job for parochial vicars. And that is okay. in order to um, keep the pastor grounded, in order to um, keep him from being getting crazy, you have to mess with the pastor every once in a while. I think this is an important okay. thing. And so this is what I did recently. My pastor is a very traditionalist guy. Uh, I jokingly say like he knows every saint and every feast day. And it'll be like, it's, it's the feast day of St. Jehosa Wusawazawa. And on this day, Catholics bless uh, celery sticks. And so he'll do that at like the daily mass. And I'm like, what? I've never heard of any of these things. Like he knows all these things. It's delightful. So like the liturgical life in our parish is really benefited from this. And um, yeah. so we've got a chapel that we use as priests. It's in a, a building just across the parking lot. Uh, it's the okay. old convent chapel. But we are slowly working on getting a chapel in the actual rectory. Uh, but of mm-hmm. course, it's going to be very nice. He's talking about like there's curtains that you can put on an altar. This is like a thing. I don't know. Like All behind, these, behind the altar? Like on the sides, going off the side. So, like, okay. uh, to kind of flank you uh, on, on yep. your right and left, like there's curtains the tabernacle? coming. 
Uh, oh, 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 I see, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know this was a thing. I don't know any of this stuff. He just knows all this stuff, right? So whatever mm-hmm. we end up doing, it's going to be very nice. And I was like, okay, time to mess with the pastor. And I did this. I, I ambushed him because the three of us priests were at uh, a parishioner's house having dinner. So I'm like, okay, public space. So we can't kill me if I ask it here, right? And I was like, so, Father, how do you feel about... Uh, me putting a lazy boy into our new chapel and to see his face was a thing of beauty because Uh he was at first confused and then saddened and disappointed okay so he's confused about the whole concept at first like didn't register yeah and then he was because he's such a simple guy that he's like what's a lazy boy right right yeah exactly (laughs) i had to say like, like a recliner And then he was saddened because he was conflicted because he wants to support my prayer life, but he's disappointed because that's what I need for my prayer life in our chapel. And it's not going to fit with the aesthetic at all. And so he he just was like, why are you asking me this now? I was like, I just thought I'd bring it up. And so I I, I hurt my pastor's heart, I think, by asking. But here's, here's actually, so maybe this isn't to support the pastor. Maybe this is very selfish. Because I'm, I start off with a big ask, right? I'm going to ask for something real big, and then as long as I get like a a nice chair with like a with like a footrest, I'll be happy. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. But you got to start off. With, like, yeah. Can I get a big, comfy recliner inside our super tranny chapel? <laughs> are you gonna get? Are you gonna get the low ask? I'm sure. Because at the end of the That's day, a, it's yeah. our chapel, and he gets that. But uh, right. <laughs> you know, he, he wouldn't fight me on this, but like, to be honest, so what you need, but what you need to do is maybe for like a big anniversary or birthday for him is you got, you need to pull some people's money together and buy him a lazy boy. Maybe I do. It's like, try, just like, be like pray in this buddy. <laughs> or just, he can put it wherever he wants. He put it in his room or whatever, but then he, it has the experience, but it's also a little poke. Like I haven't forgotten. Yes. I haven't forgotten. And I'm willing to spend my own money for this for you. That's mm-hmm. how bad I want this. Mm-hmm. I know I won't buy it for myself for the chapel. Like, no, I'm right. not going to spend that money for that, but I'll buy it for you. And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <laughs> I have something similar. Like, I, well, because as people know, my, or I think they know, my chapel is very small. It's like a little room, really. Yeah. And it's my library slash chapel. So mm-hmm. I will both pray in there, but also read in there, which is a yeah. good place to read. Yeah. So it's more of a reading chair with a footstool that I often go sit on in my mm-hmm. chapel. It's quite nice. Nice. It's yeah. Really nice. It's actually great. It's nice to put up your feet. Pray it Jesus is sometimes. though. I mean, that's one of the biggest appeals to the vocation of the priesthood is that you get your own chapel and you don't have to yeah. sit in those terrible, terrible pews that are so uncomfortable. Yeah. Exactly. I, I became like, a priest so I could sit in comfy chairs all my life. That's the reason exactly. why I became exactly. a priest. Exactly. Do it. So on that note, actually quickly, like uh, one thing I've been experimenting with a lot lately is so I bought somebody to sell some nice earplug, not these ones, but some nice earplug headphones. Mm-hmm. And I've been using like ADHD focus music when I need to do menial tasks and everything. And it's actually been working quite well. And those mornings where I'm finding it really tough to focus to pray, I put in like their meditation music or something like that for mm-hmm. ADHD. Nice. And it's actually very helpful to pray. I won't do that in the church because people are like, why is Father wearing headphones in the church? Right. But I'll do yeah. that at home in my chapel. They won't understand. And, but I'll do that in my chapel at home sometimes. Just Absolutely. To, focus it in and I was talking to a friend who will rename anonymous uh, today and uh, and and she said oh I do actually the same thing I'm like oh cool all right I, I don't feel so weird now about this yeah or like you know the bringing a coffee in to pray or a tea or something like oh, yeah, that I mean, oh my no, I've gosh been, I've been it's the I've been best doing, I've been doing that for years exactly and and producer Indiana agrees Producer Indiana does agree. Maybe she'll make a guest appearance. She's going to be in the background. She's she's happy. <laughs> she's maybe happy. she's talking. She'll uh, make an appearance. And maybe she'll make an appearance because she'll hear the alarm bells going off for theological emergencies. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. Hi, this is Margaret, like the she from Phoenix. Uh, and 
some friends of mine have their baby baptized, and I know you can do the math in ASL language, but we were wondering if baptisms can be done in sign languages. Uh, so thanks for thanks for your answer and uh, love your podcast. All right, Mar, if that's your real name, I mean like. Mar as in like that's Mer is the French word for C. So so really she's how you how are you how is someone's name how is someone's name after like an object of the world? Wait, wait, time out, time so, out, time out. The, say that sorry. say the French again. Mer. It sounds like you're like throwing up in your mouth a little bit when you say it. <laughs> because you gotta get guttural at the back of your throat. But also Mar, I mean that's like Latin, isn't that the Latin root? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is Maurice. Yes. Yes. Anyway, America, I agree. Sounds America, like a fake name. Tour. Yes, it sounds like a fake name. Fake name, name exactly. real question. So anyways, so I love, I, I saw, I'm like, actually, I got a little giddy because now, obviously, he doesn't listen to the podcast because he's deaf, but uh, I have a priest friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a priest friend in Edmonton who I went to seminary with, and he did his master's thesis on the Eucharistic consecration and possibility of valid use of sign language. Hmm. Because uh, he was kind of curious about this. Now he can speak. He can. He has aids that can help him hear a little bit, and he can read yeah. mouths and stuff like that. So, and he does. He's actually now a theology prof at our seminary, at our old, my old seminary. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, well, he's got a PhD. Yeah, he's got a PhD in in uh, in theology. Wow. Um, he just or he's just finishing up his PhD, and he is also the the priest who looks after the deaf community in Edmonton. Nice. Uh, Father Matthew Heisel. Really good guy. Really good guy. And that's why I can just phone up, obviously. <laughs> but uh, although, God bless him. Like, we became such good friends. I like, I was actually tempted to buy him a Braille Bible just yeah. because, just because, like, playing off the, like, because I'll joke, like, oh, should I get something in Braille for you? I was like, I'm deaf, not blind. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, he totally, get, you, can be <laughs> you can just totally do that with him, right? Because you're a good friend. Like, it's just, like, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, anyways, anyways. So, <laughs> that, that's you can only do that with friends. You can right all, yeah. yeah, you can only do that with friends. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, um, but so he did this because he was really curious about this question because he was so he looked at different Eucharistic prayers and how they were done. Like there is a there is one communion with the, within the church, one of the Eastern communions that doesn't actually have an institution narrative, but it's mm -hmm. still a valid Eucharist. Yeah. Right, I can't remember which one it is. I think it's one, one of the ones. the ones that one of the middle ones the ones in the Middle East somewhere. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I thought that's really interesting. And so he was using this as a way to start making a theological speculation around the notion of can you do this? Now, for him, he would say it is not prudent in any way, shape, or form to go against I, the the problem. Really, becomes the theology of voice, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, uh, does voice have a part or place to play? in the sacrament mm -hmm. uh we words it's clearly do but and and for sign language it's a word it's just not spoken the way words usually are yeah right? it's communicated it's not spoken it's exactly so does do the words have to be spoken verbally or can they be communicated in such a way and can it still be valid he isn't st he's still unsure on the question he thinks there's a place for it in the church um, and it may be. It's. It, and I think it's a more modern question that we've really had to deal with, as deaf communities get more coalesced in different areas. People will often move where there's other deaf people and stuff. So then there's more yeah. of a pastoral responsibility to that he gets forty or fifty people at mass on Sunday with his little deaf community, right? So yeah. I think it's a worthy theological question. That all being said, what he often does right now is he says the words, he says them, but then he also does, he he will also sign the words at the same time yeah. as best he can. And so I think that's the best way you can go at it right now. I don't. I, don't, I would not advise removing uh, the spoken words, um, because right now part, part of the form and matter of the sacrament is spoken word. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, we have a uh, a a priest who will sign uh, a mass uh, for uh, the deaf community. He's actually only like fifteen minutes from my parish. Uh, so nice. it's a really good ministry, but yeah, he'll say the words as well as uh, signing them along. But it's interesting. So it yeah. sounds like, you know, this is, I don't want to say an open question in the sense that it's something that's being talked right. about a lot, but there's definitely seems to be from his perspective, a possibility and a worthy conversation to be had around it. 
Yeah, I, I think and I, knowing him, he's going to continually explore this question for the rest of his life in ministry. Uh, I, I and I think it's a worthy theological discussion. It is, to have. I, 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 for me, that the, the hesitation is. I, I think you actually used a good word for that. It's communication. It's not words. Mm-hmm. It's so spoken so communication. The theo- yeah. The the- yeah. So the the theology of word is very vital here. Mm-hmm. And so the question you have to really ask yourself is sign language spoken word or not? And because if it's not, if you can't make the justification, it may be not possible. In my so it's interesting because uh, kind of in, in the uh, early church in like the Gallic area, uh, very much that tradition, the pre-Christian tradition was that power was in the breath. And so... Right. And that kind of made its way into some theology in the early church that you had to mm-hmm. like breathe. It's it's all it's so the church is like the power is not in the breath; it's in the word. But in the same way, right. like still, there's still hints of that in our liturgy. When you say the consecration, you bow down. A lot of times, priests yep. end up doing this intuitively by like almost speaking into mm-hmm. the chalice. Um, I do it. So I actually I do it. No, I don't. I just, like I actually like lean on the altar and I yeah. tip the chalice. Yeah, and I speak the words into the same over the bread. I speak the words over them, right? And and actually, when the bishop consecrates the oils uh, on uh, uh, Chrism Mass, he the right calls for him to breathe on the oils. Uh, but it's just yeah. interesting the way that the church has like, because this this is a very Catholic question when you think about it. Yeah. It's about mediation. Yeah. It's about the words. It's yeah. about the body. It's about being incarnate. Uh, this is fascinating. Yeah. 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 So I would bring him on the podcast, but. Uh, it would be a little hard to communicate with them. You'd hear a lot of typing in the background. Yes. But maybe if there's a way we can figure... Actually, that maybe there would be a way for us to figure that out. I could give him like some predetermined questions, and I could just like... I don't know sign language, so I just wave at the camera like, stop, so I can say something or something like that. <laughs> we have a chat on the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It'll it be a fun, fun project for Nick to stuff. edit. Oh my gosh, poor Nick. <laughs> but it would be a fun. I think. Ooh, actually, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll try and bring him on at some point. That would be a, maybe in the summer when he's his seminary duties has have lessened. I'm willing That'd to give it a shot. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it'd be a fun thing to investigate. Cool. All right, let's hit some presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations oh yes. yes quite good quite good indubitably <laughs> i bet they can't wait to learn, They're gonna learn <laughs> it's my favorite part <laughs> it's the best part <laughs> yes yes quite yes right. quite. so what is you know gaudete sunday hit or sorry Lateri sunday Lateri sunday hits mm-hmm. what's something changes in the liturgy after that day besides the rose vestments that sunday uh what else changes uh, does our inviditory change? For I mean, inviditories change every day. No, uh, sorry. Um, when you're doing the um, liturgy, of the oh, hours. Liturgy hours. Oh, that's actually a good question. I think that because it's like an option. Week. It's it's either that changes at some point in Lent where you only have one option instead of two. I think it's next week when Passion Tide starts. Yeah. Uh, what else changes Anyways, in the liturgy? What else changes? Thinking about the mass. Uh, I'm thinking about the mass. Sorry, liturgy. Yeah, and mass. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Oh, oh, oh! A lot of times we cover the um, statues. That that all happen in a that happens the week after the Terry Sunday. Okay. Uh, I'm out of guesses. Yo, what yo, happens? The, the gospel is only one gospel book now. We only use John's gospel now. Oh, Nita. Oh, right. Yeah, because we used John for like Holy Week and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's so great. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, I always look forward to uh, So I have been doing this. So you're getting back-to-back Bible podcast, folks, which is kind of cool. It's, not something we, it's actually not something we It's actually not something we often do, which is... But when we do it, I like is, it. It's fun. We, yeah, it is fun because it's. I think because of preaching, we're able to speak very extemporaneously off of a text and really have mm-hmm. a good discussion with it. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. So I got. I always get excited after Literary Sunday because it means we're starting to go through John's Gospel for the last few weeks of Lent here. I mean, it's like so you're going to have John's Gospel for it that will not be for Palm Sunday because Palm. But well, sorry. Yeah, you won't have it for Palm Sunday. Good, but also the proclamation of Jesus's passion is not actually a gospel reading. Um, that actually happens at the beginning of Sunday. 
Yes. Um, but for Good Friday, the Passion narrative is always John's. You always have John's version of the Last Supper on Holy Thursday. And mm-hmm. John's gospel is used both for Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday for the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then the weekday readings before that are all John's gospel. And John's gospel just is amazing. I I did not preach on it last night because on Tuesday night on the first Tuesday night because it was Ezekiel and the rivers running from the east of the temple and that the the temple faced east and so I did this whole thing on the church is the new temple facing the east of the risen Christ homily talking about a little bit at Orientum you know did you do uh, what was it what I I talked a little bit about because it was in the, one of our daily mass readings and the water flowing yeah. from the side or the blood and water flowing from the side of the cross. The birth of the yep. church it is and the so waters much of baptism. Stuff. The waters of baptism, and yep. and it's going into stagnant waters to bring waters, fresh waters, and it's just so good. And that the church mediates the grace. It's so, so good, much man. good stuff there. So I did not preach on John's gospel that night, but okay. this morning, when we were recording here, uh, I was preaching on Jesus healing on the south. So uh, John chapter five, and I just so I want to talk a bit about John's gospel okay. in general. Like I, 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 I'll be frank, folks. I have nothing prepped here. I'm just kind of going for it. Um, but I, uh, what are do you have you ever heard? Like I think it's important to talk a bit about John's Gospel because it is both one of the most beautiful, but also one of the most mysterious books. Of, okay. Like it's of the four, it's the hardest to read. I think. In, in many ways. So, I think. It, in a lot of like uncommonly talking about the gospel, people will say that John is the most theological. And I disagree with that because there is deep theology in the structure of all the other uh, synoptic Mm -hmm. gospels. Um, But there is something about John where it kind of reflects a maturity of meditation on the events of Jesus's life. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's fair to say um, that it's coming from a perspective that is potentially that's the thing i don't want to talk about john's gospel in a way that makes the other gospels not sound good because <laughs> right they're all good yes but <laughs> i mean it's okay you know, to have favorites it's like, yeah it's like you know i you know one could say no actually i actually i like all four of them but they're all they're all very different in many ways okay so for right? me the big thing about john is uh that always struck me and i may have mentioned this before but uh when i was at cua uh, at seminary, there's also a uh, Maronite seminary right down the road, and mm-hmm. we would sometimes go to their place and have liturgy. And we had liturgy there for the feast of Saint John the Theologian, mm-hmm. and we also had a Maronite priest who was doing one of our theology classes. And he was kind of joking mm-hmm. about that. He was like, "Here at CUA, we all consider you theologians, and in the Roman Rite, everyone's a theologian. You do a little bit of theology, yeah. you're a theologian, but in the Eastern Rite." The title theologian is reserved for very few. It's reserved yeah. for those who have had some like sort of deep. Like three or four of them. Uh, what's that? Like three or four. Yeah. Are named theologian. Uh, That's it. Exactly. And they've had particularly deep insight on like the nature of God, like the Trinity. And one of them, mm-hmm. the first and foremost, is Saint John, the theologian. So in the East, they recognize this his insight, and that theology uh, comes from this image of. John at the Last Supper, the beloved disciple, resting on the heart of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's where he got his theology, more so than study, but like his closeness to the heart of Christ. That's what makes mm-hmm. him a theologian, which I've always mm-hmm. loved that idea. And I think it points to just John's gospel in general, that there is something going on here, which is a particular gift to the church. Right. Yeah. And because it, it, this is the thing, I think it, it also strikes different because there's a few things going on here. First, it is just so unlike the other three. Yes. It clearly, it has doesn't have the same structure. It's miss. There's no institution narrative in John's gospel. Right. Well, there is. It's John 6. But I right. mean, the, the, of the, the historical event, right? Yeah. Um, it's also uses the, it's the most um, economical in its use of Greek. Mm-hmm. It uses the fewest Greek words of all the gospels in terms of like if you did like a word cloud or whatever yeah it would have the least amount like it's very precise in its in the words it wants to use um it also jesus seems to have a vastly different attitude 
There is a deep awareness in Jesus in this gospel that is obviously there in the others, but there is like today's gospel. He's talking about his relationship with the father. Right. And Mm -hmm. he's like, the, and it's just, it's very clear. Uh, Jesus is the son of the father Mm -hmm. and he knows it. Right. And I mean, he knows it's there in the other gospels, but there's, and so in that, so people like to say, Oh, well that's because John's gospel is very high Christology and which don't get me started on those darn academic terms because I think that's a whole load of hooey. Yeah. About low Christology and high Christology in the Gospels is just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because at the same time, there's this like deep awareness of Jesus' certainty of who he is, mm-hmm. but there's also like a deep carnalness. Like there's, Jesus is no more emotional than he is in John's Gospel. Yeah. Right? Oh, like, yeah, he is, inc- he is, like, he, like we're going to hear it on Sunday for scrutinies. Uh, Jesus cries Mm-hmm. At the death of his friend Lazarus, right? Uh, he's using mud. He's spitting into the ground to create to create mud to put on some guy's eyes, right? Like there is a deep earthiness. I, I would actually call John's Gospel the earthiest of the four. I like that, yeah. Right, uh, but that's part of the great paradox. So John's Gospel is also meant to be seen as a sacrament, really. The mm-hmm. earthiness reveals the deeper mystery, the deeper reality behind it, and that's what, so. There's this paradox going on between the two. Anyway, so there's so much, like, I could, oh my gosh, anyways, but what I want to kind of go on is what I preached on this morning, so this is more, this is more just an enlightenment, this is, there's nothing practical here, we're not going to talk about confession again, Yeah. for the billionth time, like we always like to do, mm. we're just going to, in as you talked about that one time, that one time about preaching, like sometimes preaching is just about appreciate, like enjoying the thing for itself. Yes. Just That's reflecting wanna, oh, on oh, the... Oh goodness of God and that's I just want to reflect on the goodness of God in John's gospel I want to enjoy it for its own sake I like it and so how like so I chose there was three things that pointed out to me in John 5 today so John 5 just so if people don't have their Bible in front of them first you're a sinner and God hates you no, I'm <laughs> How can you be listening to this podcast and not have a Bible in front of you? After that last episode. I'm just imagining. Especially after last episode. <laughs> I'm imagining someone like with one of those big Bibles. They're driving their car. They have a Jerome's biblical commentary in the passenger exactly. seat. They're listening to the podcast. And there's like <laughs> flipping through the pages. Uh, no, I, you're, no, God does not hate you because you don't have a Bible in front of you. But anyways, we're, I want to look at John chapter 5. And so John, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But John chapter five explore is is Jesus uh, healing the paralyzed man, um, or um, or sorry, the man who's been ill for thirty eight years. Which I did not preach on this, but actually, I just hit it. Just hit me. Wait, every word in John's gospel has a deep meaning. Like, why thirty eight years? What's that mean? I actually don't know. I want to think about that. I, I'm just like. Yeah, this is this is the fun part of okay, John's gospel. Also, I'll throw this yeah. out there that, and this is more of a uh, more recent uh, scholarly take: is that for a long time people saw everything in John's gospel as purely symbolic, but now there's a lot of strong right. arguments about the actual historical accuracy of John as well. So, 38 years yeah. could literally mean it was historically this guy was sick for 38 years. Well, no, no, exactly. Yeah. But then for John, but that that also has a meaning, right? Like, so sure. last Sunday we had. Uh, the blind man, and then and then he's not known, and he's known then as the man who was formerly known to be blind. Like it's a very awkward sentence structure. Yeah. But because John doesn't give him a name for on purpose. Yeah. Because we are that man. Yeah. We mm-hmm. are that. We are the man who's fallen. Who now through? Anyways. Oh gosh. Anyways. So this thirty-eight, this man who's been ill for thirty-eight years, and he says to him, "Pick up your pallet and walk." And the guy does it, and he's healed. And the authorities. They're not too happy. No. Because the man picked up his mat. What's he done? Well, he's broken the Sabbath, obviously, Father Harrison. He's doing work he's, he's, on a yeah, holy day. Up. How dare he you pick don't. up his pallet and walk? Exactly. Exactly. And then he says, well, someone told me to do it. <laughs> Jesus, right? And then, but then, so then Jesus, um, but then Jesus, uh, says this, uh, because the Jewish authorities find Jesus. He goes, my father is working still, and I am working. And that's what I chose to preach on. Mm. And I ended up preaching for like 10 minutes at a weekday mass. Shame on you. 
because how does John's gospel begin? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. What's that meant to point to? It's meant to point to the fact that Jesus is God. He's with the Father. It's pointing to Christ's role in creation as well. It's... Okay, think more just what book of the Bible. Oh, uh, it's pointing back to Genesis in the beginning. Right. Yeah. yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, 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 the rest of the universe. <laughs> yada, 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 yada. We fall, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just yada, yada, yada. Did you just yada, yada Genesis? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a Seinfeld joke for those who know Seinfeld. Anyways, um, but what then, what happens for the first six days of creation? God spoke, created, made. Works. Yeah. And on the seventh day, he rested. Correct. Jesus says, my father is still working, mm-hmm. and I am working. Mm-hmm. These are not just words of God's trying to heal and save. If we take John 1 seriously, this is this has creative overtones. Mm-hmm. Because, well, we all know the problem in Genesis is that we kind of screwed it up. Right. Right? We kind of screwed up. And so it's a sign of the old creation. The old order is actually not fully. We're not fully where we're supposed to be. And so God, even though he rests on the seventh, on the Sabbath day, God actually is still working mm-hmm. because of the fallen order. The Sabbath is not the Sabbath as it is instituted, instituted in the law is not a permanent thing. Because God is still working. In other words, the work of creation is still happening. Mm-hmm. Because in John's gospel now, because of the first of the first bit, right, uh, um, about how all things are made through him and not anything that was made that in him was life and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has no light, has not overcome him. Um, and he goes on that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Creation now is tied to salvation. So God, God's act of creation that he began at the beginning is still happening here. In other words, mm-hmm. Jesus comes as the sharer in God's creative plan, who is now actually still at work. God hasn't rested yet, in other words. Uh. And so because God hasn't rested yet, this, this, these Sabbath rules don't apply eternally. Hmm. And so because we all know, as we know with Easter symbol, symbols and everything, it's the eighth day that becomes the day of rest. It's the, new, it's the day of the start of the new creation. Yeah. <laughs> so God's still working even in the seventh day, which is the generation of those who have fallen. And now this is getting very Bonaventurian, but uh, and now this eighth day is the day of the new creation, which is where Jesus. So the father's still working, in other words, because Jesus is actually sharing in this work. And, and, and this this creative motif, which is now tied to salvation in the gospel, oops, now tied to salvation in the gospel of John. I'm getting excited here. I'm knocking my microphone over is. Um, because how many signs are in John's gospel? Oh, I can't remember. Is there six, seven, eight, nine, no, 12, one, two, three, four, five, six, six seven, 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 seven. Yeah. <laughs> seven. starting with uh, wedding feast of Cana uh-huh. and ending with the raising of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. But there's actually an eighth sign. The resurrection. The resurrection. Why is it seven signs? Seven days of creation. It starts with a wedding feast, the creation of Adam and Eve, right? The creation of man. And and, um, and it concludes with the raising of someone who has died, which is, which is uh, reorienting or reframing uh, the effect of sin and death. So the whole like creation motif that's encapsulated in Genesis is now just exploded and expanded in Jesus' saving mission. And then the new creative act, which is why Jesus appears in a garden in the resurrection, because it's the new Eden, right? It's it's the new Eden. So Jesus is still working because creation hasn't completed itself yet. Yeah. It's I don't know. Like, no, yeah. No, 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 this no. Is where I, this way. 
This is cool. I don't know. This is the, these are the the connections I was making in my no, head. No, those are all good. So, I'm thinking, so it's 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 interesting. I like that a lot um, because it, then, like the original Sabbath is only a promise of the real Sabbath to come. Exactly. Which isn't that our experience? Like even even the rest that we have in Christ now is still only a promise of the heavenly rest to come. Mm-hmm. And it's making this kind of um, and also. I think very often when we think of biblical history uh, and our history, it's very easy to disconnect them in our minds. In a Mm -hmm. general sense, this is a thing that happened in the past, has no connection to me, but also like it feels like with the fall, there's a break. And in a certain understanding of that, it's true. But in reality, kind of how you framed it, like God is still working, that there isn't a break, that it's one continuous story of love from creation to creation. And yeah. I like that a lot. And so this is why like he'll go on later on in this uh, in this chapter here. So first, after he says this, my father is working still and I am working. This is why the Jews sought to kill him more, uh, more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also called God his father, making himself equal to God. So um, because he sees himself as co-creator with the father. Right, it's one of John's delicious uses of irony. <laughs> mm-hmm. That they're angry and, with him then, for claiming the true thing. <laughs> but here's the thing. He broke the Sabbath, but not just he didn't just break the Sabbath here. Like is in the because actually Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. He told a guy to walk. He didn't actually do anything. Yeah. How did he break the Sabbath then? By saying the Sabbath is not eternal. Yeah. Um because the truth it's not it, it's purpose and its mission is healing is salvation mm-hmm. now um and we're not there yet and this is why he'll say elsewhere you know uh for i'm lord of the sabbath yeah this is this is the whole point the sabbath hasn't come yet this is why we move this is why the sabbath has moved to sunday for us mm-hmm. because it's a sign to say that it has its place and it is a law that it's but it, that this law is not but the Sabbath of the Old Testament is not abrogated and destroyed. It's fulfilled in the resurrection, mm-hmm. right? And so this is why we have the ability to move it to the Sunday. It's almost, it, I mean, yeah. I might be taking this too far, yeah. but like the whole idea of Jesus breaking the Sabbath is that like yeah. it's 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 broken in Christ in the sense to be raised to the eighth day. Like it's, yeah. it, there's death and resurrection of the Sabbath that Jesus is actually performing in his ministry and life. Like, right. That's how and, redemption and so, happens. Yeah. He and destroys so, their old idea is, of Sabbath and raises it to something higher. He destroys exactly. our idea of death and raises it to something higher. Interesting you should mention that because in this chap in this bit here, he's really going he really goes ham on whole how he's the son of the father. But he then goes on to say, <laughs> Truly, truly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so he's talking about the harrowing of hell here. Yeah. But then he talks about the hour. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, so it's showing that Jesus's whole ministry is really in the context of an entire. It, I'm not going to go into this because I can't remember all the details. But I remember in, in the seminary, my our prof on John's on Johannine literature was talking about like the liturgical calendar at play in John's Gospel, mm-hmm. and like there's the whole. Uh, did you ever see? Um, um, ah, now I'm forgetting its name. Ah, the Christopher Nolan movie about World War Two. Why am I ah? Dunkirk? Uh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk, yeah. I have not seen it. Did you see it? Okay. Well, in Dunkirk, it's it's a movie that shows both... Uh, it, it's showing three times three time spans at once. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a week, a day, and an hour. And there's something similar going on in John's Gospel, right? That there's the, there is the week of creation that spans the whole Gospel. There is the day of the more imminent... Uh, um, time of ministry and then there's the hour of his death and resurrection and so Jesus is subsuming everything into his redemptive work drawing everything into his cross and resurrection and so when he's talking about going down to preach to the dead he's talking about 
that the hour this is that is so now the hour means it's the last hour it's the last hour of the old creation mm-hmm. when i go to preach to the dead the old creation comes to an, its end and the new creation begins in me and that's why he has the authority to judge yeah because he is now the source point so this is why he's so offensive to the jewish authority saying i am the source point of history mm-hmm. i am this the whole history that you've lived up to this point it consummates in me and now it finds a source in me going forward. And so this is why this is why like the the church fathers and the medievals will talk about uh, the time of the church as the eighth day, as the final day, as the the, the last day of creation, or or they'll simultaneously to mix up symbols. They'll talk about it as we are in the sixth day before the seventh day comes again at the final judgment. Um, but that we're this final generation. Mm-hmm. Because now it's all in Christ, and that now all of Christ, and that but what Jesus is doing, and you had mentioned, you had hinted at this earlier, all that Jesus is doing now in this like particular history is now something he now immerses the whole church into, that we participate in this, and that is made present and eternal through the whole church throughout all ages, mm-hmm. um, and so this work, so this work is both creative, salvific, and becomes liturgical. Which is constantly bringing out this theme over and over again. Yeah, yeah, but it's also so that's the uh, the eschatological gist of it. But I'm also thinking of so this idea that the hour is coming and is now here, where the dead will rise from their graves, some to mm-hmm. judgment. But that's also happening literally to the hearers of the gospel mm-hmm. in that moment. That mm-hmm. the Pharisees, the sinners, all of them. There's kind of like, now that you've encountered the word, there's only two ways to go. To begin this new life of Jesus Christ now, or to reject it. And you see that in the Pharisees, that their own words and reaction to the word is their judgment, because Christ's word judges them in that moment as well. That, That was the healing of the blind man, right? Yeah. It's the blind man who really sees. Right. And the Pharisees say, are you going to call us blind? Are we blind? Do we not see? And he goes, uh, because you say you see, you do not see. Yeah. You are the blind ones. You are Irony again. I love John's irony. <laughs> yeah, irony. John, oh, yeah. He, he's, he's great that way. So what's the point of all this? It's just something to delight in. It's, it's of the yeah. symbiosis of the symbiosis of images. And there's way more there, too. Right. They got I'm 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 uh, I'm behaving. <laughs> You'd be a good boy. <laughs> I'm focusing on one topic. Actually, I, I've been doing. I've been. I've been practicing even on Sunday preaching, not using a text now, and just finding what's that one thing I want to talk about, and yeah. just kind of go with it. Yeah, and it's actually been going really well. Good. Uh, but no, it's like that was the like. I was like, that's just like that. I. It was just one of those things. Where I was like, I didn't even look at the gospel before mass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just like as I'm reading, I'm like, that's an interesting phrase. Let's see where this goes. And that's more or less where I was going with it. And I'm like, that is fun. John is cool. I I, I mean, this is getting to another topic, but I think there's an important place for that in preaching. Because I've gotten Mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, oh, that's the thing. Something will click in my heart when I'm praying about something. And now I I don't even have anxiety about the rest of it. Yeah. Um, And I mean, some of that is like kind of skill. Like I know how to technically wrap up a homily and stuff like that. But there's something about that kind of confidence in the Holy Spirit and that feeling of being an instrument that like, I don't have to construct a whole homily. I am an instrument for the word of God. So as long as I open myself up to his word through my study, prayer and everything, then you just kind of let the spirit go. Well, that's kind of where my, my, in my prayer, that's where things kind of got led to, Mm -hmm. which was, um, I was like, man, like, getting homilies ready to go and then you don't feel as into it sometimes with a text not that a text is a bad thing i i use text for like long like when i do our solemn vespers once a month yeah uh, i need a text because it's a half hour talk right yeah you know? yeah, yeah. And i can't it's a different thing i need that it's a different thing um but like with the sunday homily i'm like no i like look at your experience during weekday mass so what do you do like often like i'm not that i shouldn't like i'm trying to pray like i pray with it this time but it's like often like maybe i don't pray with it beforehand yeah but I know the scriptures well enough and I've internalized them enough that when I hear the word, something something's gonna pop. And like to trust, like, so what Jesus put on my heart with preaching was, trust the word. You don't have to like doubt the word that just pops up in your head. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it comes really fast. And I'm yeah. like, oh, but should I, you know, should I investigate? He's like, no, just leave it there. 
Mm-hmm. That's how you are. Like use the gifts you have, which is yeah, yeah, kind of cling onto a phrase, and that's where you go. Yep. And so do with it, do that, and you'll be fine. And actually, like this past weekend, so I did that with the blind man, and I was, I went through the whole notion of how I, I, I focused on the phrase, neither because of his parents' sin nor his sin was he suffering this, but so that the works of God might be revealed through him. The works of God again, mm-hmm, creative mm-hmm. creation, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, but that this unjust man, or sorry, this just man then, mm-hmm. is suffering unjustly so that sinners might be known God's work. Well, there you go. <laughs> like, And that that's, and that's as, as Christians, really, we share in that same mission. Yes. And it's just like, and that's what I kind of went through. So that, guess yeah. what? Suffering's part of life because... It's how God's works are revealed. As my uh, South Carolinian, uh, one of my homilic professors would say, that dog will preach. (laughs) (laughs) That dog will preach. (laughs) What does that mean? So uh, to like say the phrase is that dog will hunt. It's like, that's Uh like a good idea or that'll work. That dog will hunt. And he just changed it to that dog will preach. (laughs) <laughs> when oh, we okay. came up with an idea. I've never heard. I've never. I've never heard the phrase that dog will hunt. Yeah, it's a. Yeah, it's a very it's American a phrase. Okay, okay, but uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Just so, just trust. Like I don't know. Like it, when I was listening to the bi- double biography of Pope Benedict um, in seminary training, what you would had to do is you had to prepare the text, mm-hmm. and you had to memorize it, and mm-hmm. then you had to give it from memory when you were preaching. Yep. And I'm like, man, I, I would not have survived as a priest back then. But it's like, mm-hmm. I think there's something okay with like, hey, this is who you are. This is what works for you. Just do it. Yeah. Because the best, I, I find I'm best at preaching when I get excited. People find the excitement itself intoxicating or not intoxicating, but like, you know, it enthuses them yes. too. Yes, if it's, you're it's, interested it's contagious. in... It's contagious. It's yes. contagious. And yeah. so, and, uh, and actually... I thought having a text would force me to slow down. Mm-hmm. Actually, not having a text forces me to slow down because sometimes I have to take a second to think what's my next thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes sense. And that's not a bad thing. So we'll see no. where it goes. We'll see yeah. where it goes. But actually, it makes preparing homilies a lot easier. And there's a freedom in that. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Because we have enough stresses Word. in our lives. Yes. Well, speaking of stresses, you need to get back to your day of rest. I do. And, and But that's in order to rest you up for the stresses that will come. Amen. So guys, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me thinking about the Gospel of John. You can find me steeped in John's Gospel on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a theological emergency? Call 412-912-7995, 412-912-7995, or just meditate deeply on John the Theologian. He can probably handle a lot of your emergencies himself. Peace. God bless. <laughs>